Today we're talking about relationships. Is there anyone that here that has just figured it all out when it comes to relationships? Nobody. Oh, wow. Well, great. Is there anyone that's just the opposite? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, sometimes in relationships I need help. Or sometimes in my relationships I've blown it. Or sometimes i failed. I was browsing a travel site this week and seeing some different attractions and things that you can go do and places that you can travel to and things that you can see. And there was something that caught my attention. Do you guys know that there is a museum that the entirety of the exhibits in this museum are centered around spectacular failures from around the world? A museum of failure. In fact, there is 159, over 159 different showcases of failure in the museum, innovative ideas that have failed, different products or concepts that have gone wrong. And there's a short video that we have that tells you a little bit about some of these products. Check it out. I feel like every time I get a new box, I feel like it's Christmas, except the stuff I'm unboxing is failure. Hi, I'm Samuel West, and I'm the curator of the Museum of Failure here in Helsingborg, Sweden. It's a collection of failed innovations that we can learn from. What you're looking at here is a teleguide. It's sort of like a pre-internet internet. You could use it to find phone numbers. You could even do some simple shopping on it. The teleguide failed because Swedish Telecom had not negotiated good enough prices, so they actually lost money on each product that was sold. So the Itera plastic bicycle from 1982 was a Swedish national innovation failure. It was twice the price of a regular bicycle, it was unstable, and it broke. This is the Ford Edsel from 1958. It was probably Ford's biggest mistake. To change gears, you push buttons inside the steering wheel. So instead of tooting the horn, it goes into reverse. It was mega hyped up. It even had its own TV show. This is the Edsel. Ford's problem was that they got their customers to install this fantasy. From a psychological perspective, the fiction of the future can be much greater than reality actually is. There was no way that the car could ever meet those expectations. Failure starts early on when you break something as a kid. Nobody goes, yay, good for you, you're learning about your environment. So failure is something that gets internalized quite quickly as something negative. We deal with failure and other painful sort of memories by ignoring them. The same way that the companies do, they fail with the product. And instead of learning from their failure, they move on to the next big thing. I could fill an entire museum with smartphones. This is a Microsoft Kin, cheap phone, nobody liked it. The Twitter Peak, completely useless device. People already had smartphones. This is the Iridium satellite phone. Too expensive, cell phones were cheaper and better. The Amazon Fire Phone had a buy button. People hated it. Okay, this right here is the DivX. It's a disposable DVD. So disposable in the sense that you bought it, uh, you took it home, and once you started watching it, you had 48 hours to watch the movie, and then it didn't play anymore. 
all kinds of items that have failed. There's something uh, there called Google Glass. And I don't know if, if you remember Google Glass, but in 2013, this product launched. It lasted about 36 months on the market. It was promoted as smart glasses. We got a picture of them here. It was $1,500 and it never lived up to the hype. It was uh, in a way that you could record things just automatically kind of without people knowing and, and it never fully developed and it was banned in a lot of places before it really got off the ground. There was a Nokia device called the Nokia Engage back in the early 2000s. People often at that time would carry both a phone and a gaming device. And so Nokia combined the two devices and launched the Nokia Engage and the device had to be disassembled to change games and the phone uh, user had to hold the phone sideways to kind of use it and so it led to the nickname of taco phone and it just didn't have a lot of variety of games i don't know if people were playing snake on there or what was going on but there's all these ideas and products that failed in this museum and the idea behind the museum of failure is that at times failure uh, and innovation is a step toward ultimate success like you heard in the video but only if you learn from failure and you don't repeat the mistakes how many of you in your lives you say, man, I feel like sometimes in my life, sometimes when it comes to relationships, I could probably uh, assemble my own museum of failure from all the times and the, the crazy things that I've done, the way, spectacular failures that I've had. And sometimes in life we have these, these mess ups. And I don't know about you, but there's been times that I've blown it. I've messed up spectacularly and I'm thankful for grace and forgiveness with mistakes in our lives. It works pretty much like it does with the rest of the world. If we learn from our mistakes, if we make changes and we don't repeat them, then it can lead to success. But if we just roll our eyes and rinse and repeat and move on to the next mistake without learning the lessons, then we're doomed to repeat the failure in our lives. This happens in relationships too. Maybe you've known someone that changes romantic partners more than some people change their underwear. And the philosophy is each failed relationship is just one person closer to the man or the woman of my dreams, right? Yikes. When it comes to relationships, we don't get the luxury of making a bunch of spectacular mistakes without consequences. Today, I want to talk to you about relationships and specifically outside of your relationship with Jesus, specifically the relationship with the person that you commit to spend the rest of your life with or that you've already committed to spend the rest of your life with. But a lot of what I'm talking about today can apply to most relationships in our lives. This is for married people. It's for engaged people. It's for people who are dating. It's for people who are single but ready to mingle. It's for divorced people. It's for people who wonder if you'll ever be able to love again. It's for everyone. It's for every season of life and every relationship that you're in. And I think for all of us in life, we want stronger relationships. We want stronger friendships. We want stronger marriages. We want stronger families. And whatever kind of relationship you're in, they're better when they're healthy, when they're strong, when they're life-giving. The challenge in our relationships is that we all have these issues that we bring to the table. We have our own unique quirks and relationships can be messy and emotional and stressful and can involve heartbreak. They're complicated. We all need God's help in our relationships to know how to handle the relationships that we're in. And that God desires to bring into our lives the future relationships that we're going to have as well. It'd be a good place for an amen for a single person to claim God's blessing over their lives. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and while you're turning there, let me give you some advice on how not to break up. Some spectacular breakup ways that I've got for you here. The first one we'll put on the screen. This is a breakup by note, and it says, I'm, I'm not having fun, please don't call. That's, that's one spectacular breakup. Breaking up by text is always a, a challenging thing. 
Um, but this one here says, uh, I have something to tell you. Hey, I do too. Okay, let's say it at the same time. Okay, one, two, three. Can we break up and will you marry me? So that's a pretty spectacular breakup. Um, the multiple choice breakup is always a great one. Uh, how would you like me to break up with you? You know, and then there's three options. I think you just did. I think it's just done. And then there's the, uh, another text. It's the knock, knock joke text. I don't recommend this one. Uh, you know, knock, knock. You know, who's there? Single, single, who? Single, you. <laughs> you know, just don't do that. It's just not going to work. And then um, there's the, uh, the other note that's like, happy anniversary. I'm breaking up with you. And it's just a bad idea probably to break up with someone on their birthday or anniversary or all those things involved. Some of you are like, it's happened to me. Uh, sorry. Um, and then there's the, hap- uh, the, uh, the happy breakup day cake. You just bake a cake. Hey, I brought this for you. Enjoy. I'm out of here. And they open it up and like, hey, happy breakup. I'm, I'm breaking up with you. And uh, although that may not be something that you want to do, that may be something great for a dad to do for his daughter when she breaks up. Like, hey, congratulations. I'm so excited that that loser's gone and out of your life. Not that daughters ever date. It doesn't happen. Um, full disclosure, the goal of this series is not to help you break up. We want you to have strong and healthy relationships. The pressure of life can be intense. And I believe that the last couple of years have been very difficult. They've been very difficult on relationships. And I believe that the enemy has been attacking relationships and been attacking marriages like never before. And a strong relationship of two people who love God and love each other and are committed to the will of God is an extremely dangerous thing to the enemy. A strong relationship of two people who love God, who are committed to each other and to the will of God is a dangerous thing to the enemy. And it's not all the devil's fault, to be honest. We too often take out our frustrations on the people that are close to us. The people that we love the most often get us at our worst. We unload on the people we love. There have been some relationship casualties as a result of the last few years. And maybe today, if you're honest, maybe some of the relationships that you're in today are on life support. You're hanging on by a thread. And I want you to know today that there's hope for you today. There's hope even though the enemy wants to come and steal and kill and destroy In the midst of your relationships, there's hope despite spectacular failures and shortcomings. There's hope despite the fact that we have so many failures that we can put together our own museum of failure in our lives. There's hope even though maybe you've given up hope that your relationship can survive. Our God is a God of impossible situations. He can restore even in the most seemingly hopeless situations. There's hope because of the presence of God that's in our midst. There's hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in this place and in our lives and our homes. There's hope, there's help, and there's healing in the name of Jesus. But I want to ask you to do this today. I want to ask you that no matter what plan you may have already in place, no matter what pain you may be experiencing and going through in your relationships, whatever conclusions you may have already arrived at concerning your relationships, Whatever decisions that you've made or you're about to make, will you just press pause for a moment and give it to the Lord? Will you allow God to speak to you and speak into your relationships? Will you trust God, really trust him that he is able to heal in your situation? That if needed, he can do a miracle in your relationships and give him an opportunity to do it. Allow him to speak to you and to change you and to change your situation because that's the kind of God that I believe that we serve. We're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 and see what God's word tells us about relationships. Paul writes this letter 
And in it, the big idea that he's trying to communicate is that the purpose of our relationships is to reflect the love and grace of God. Not just the marriage relationships. He talks about that, but he also talks about the relationships between parents and kids. He talks about the relationships between employer and employee, even the relationships between church family members. All of the relationships are a part of this. And so one of the questions that we have to ask right off the top when we're approaching this chapter in the Bible is that when people look in on your relationships, do they see the love and the grace of God or do they see the dysfunction that's common in our world? Is there anything different about the way in which we approach our relationships than the way that the rest of the world approaches our relationships? Think about this. We have the power and the ability and the way that we handle relationships to show that there's something different than what the rest of the world has. There's something different about the way that, that we treat people. There's, there's something different, and it can be living proof to a watching world in how we treat other people and how we relate to one another. We, when we live out our wedding vows faithfully and not begrudgingly, when we love our kids and don't provoke, provoke them or, or how the message says we don't frustrate them with no-win situations, when we live out what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, in our relationships we can honor God and point to him. We all have a lot of room to grow here in all of our relationships, but there's a key to it all that's found in our text today in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says this, imitate God. Therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The main thing that we see and that I want you to take away from this today is that the goal of our relationships is to imitate God. What would happen in your relationships If the purpose in each and every relationship that you have was to imitate God. What if that became the purpose of your dating relationships? That you were imitating God within your dating relationships. What if your family relationships, you reflected the love and the grace of God? How would your friendships look differently if the purpose of each and every friendship was to imitate God and his character throughout that friendship? This may be a totally foreign concept to you today. You may be thinking, well, that's all great for church relationships, but like... You know, what do you mean by like all of my relationships should reflect the love and grace of God? So this is a new concept for you today. Let me just explain it like this. You and I have a relational God. And in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve and really mankind, all of us, we were created to have this intimate and this meaningful relationship with God. And we were also created with the capacity for relationships with one another. In fact, God said it's not good for us to not have that. It's not good for us to be alone. He wants vertical relationship and horizontal relationship between us and other people. And those relationships were designed to reflect God's love for us. Our relationships with each other are made to imitate God's relationship that he has with us. Sin came into the world. It messed it all up. It messed the whole situation that God set up in the Garden of Eden. And now today we have all the issues that we see in our world today, all the selfishness, all of the perversions of love, all of the cheap imitations of of true love and of God's love. And so we get to the New Testament and we have this teaching in Ephesians and in other places about how our relationships should be a reflection of the kind of love, not that's common in our world, but an imitation of God's love that's uncommon in our world for us. 
And in order to get the horizontal relationships where they need to be with each other, we first have to get our vertical relationship with God where it needs to be. We need to learn to imitate God. So our marriages, it's not about meeting our needs. It's not just about being fruitful and multiplying. It's not a culmination of human love. It's about the love of God being revealed and reflected in our love for each other. It's about imitating God's love for us so that a watching world will see that there's a God who loves me, that there's a love unlike anything else that I've ever known. And our mission within our relationships is to reflect the love and the grace of God. Is that what people see when they see your relationships? When people look in on your relationships, what do they see? Is it, is it love and is it grace? Is it the character of God or is it dysfunction? In our world today, there's plenty of dysfunction. Dysfunction's not lacking. It's all around us. It's not just dysfunctional downtown at 2 a.m. or at the Gaslight Motel. It's all around us. God has placed us in relationships to reflect his grace and his love to a watching world as we imitate him. And there's an opportunity for us to show that this is, this is why we're still together. This is why our marriage has lasted, not because we're perfect. This is the reason that we've overcome obstacles. This is the reason that we've, we've, we're still here today. We've had our fair share of failures. But thanks to the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God that's been shown to me, I've been able to show that to others. Look what the Lord has done in our relationships through his love and his grace. If we're reflecting the, the love and the grace of God to others through those relationships. It's needed in our world today. Our world needs to know that there's something different and what they see everywhere. We all have room to grow. I know that I do. I've got a lot of room to grow in helping people see the love and grace of God in my relationships. My wife's trying really hard not to say amen out loud right now. But we all have room to grow in this area of our lives. No one has arrived at some level of perfection. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. There's a lot of marriage hacks out there and relationship hacks on the cover of every magazine. You get like a therapy session when you check out at the grocery store. If you just want to read all their advice, it's right there to, to hook you in, get you to buy more and find out what they think is the seven keys and the, the four secrets or whatever it is. It doesn't start with mastering his love language or your five ways to a better marriage, regardless of what the magazines say. Or the three tips to make her crazy about you. It starts with us imitating God in all of our relationships. So how do we imitate God? What does that look like? We start by imitating God's love. He tells us right here in the text. We can imitate God first and foremost by imitating the love of God in our relationships. It's a love that's different. God's love is a love that's different than the love that our world knows and shows. Paul says that to live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. The tense of that word that Paul used here, it's a continuous action tense. It's not just the past tense or the present tense. It's not just the love of God that we imitate on our wedding day. It's not just the, the love of God that we imitate on our best days or when we feel good. You don't imitate God's love when someone makes you feel like doing it. It's every day, all the time, ongoing. Our goal is to imitate the love of God. So what does that look like? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 what the love of God looks like. It's a passage of scripture that many of us have heard. Oftentimes at weddings, we recite it and we go off and eat cake and we forget it until the next wedding we're at or whatever it is. We leave it at the altar and we go to try to figure out how we're going to tackle this wedding relationship marriage that we've got now. 
But the key is right here. We just read it and left it at the altar. Listen to what the love of God that we should imitate looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7. Love is patient. That could be a whole sermon. We can just stop right there and just talk about how love is patient. And we should be imitating the patient love of God. I keep going. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know, some of us are too, way too careless in the way that we refer to or talk about our spouse. And we think we're making funny jokes and, uh, and we're talking about our spouse in dishonoring ways. And that's not godly love. Godly love doesn't demand its own way. Ouch. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. If you have an ongoing scoreboard in your relationships, that's not a reflection of the love and the grace of God. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. Most of us don't do those things always, so we have room to grow in our relationships. This is the real love. This is what God's love is all about. Real love isn't just about what's best for me. It's about the other person as well. Real love isn't just about the emotions that we feel. It's a decision that we make each and every day. Well, that's not very sexy. That's not what it looks like in the movies and on TV. Well, I'm sorry. Real love isn't Hollywood's version of love. It's imitating God's love. Real love isn't always sexy and glamorous and Instagram worthy. Sometimes it's messy and dirty and complicated and it's a lot of hard work. How many of you have ever seen someone's post online and they have a, you know, a picture of their relationship and everything is just perfect and someone puts like hashtag goals or hashtag relationship goals, right? Usually people will post a, a happy picture of someone's best day and it's probably fake and staged and photoshopped and we compare it to our everyday struggles and we're like, oh man, well, my relationship doesn't look like that. Well, let me tell you, theirs looked like that for about three seconds. And she was hitting him and screaming at him, look this way, do this, wear the same color shirt as me and all this stuff. That's their real relationship. But you're seeing and you're comparing it to your everyday life and you're putting, oh, relationship goals. I wish that my man would take me to the beach so that we could have that romantic picnic like them. I wish that she would look at me the way the woman looks at him in that picture. I wish that he would buy me a ring like that ring. Well, they're just trying it on. He bought the smaller one. Our goal is not to one-up someone's romantic Facebook post or to imitate someone else's best moments. Don't waste try time trying to imitate someone else's projected image or false reality of love or happiness. Don't imitate someone else's love. Imitate the love of God. If you want a goal and you want to have hashtag goals in your relationships, then make it to be imitators of God in our relationships and not fixers of the other person in our relationships. Got really quiet right there. I'll keep moving. Make it your goal to imitate God's love, not to make your partner compete with some unrealistic fantasy of love on the Internet. Set a goal of extending grace to people when they don't deserve it in the same way that God has extended grace to you when you haven't deserved it. Those are goals that we should be striving for in our relationships. You imitate God, and when you imitate God's love, you also imitate God's sacrifice. That's the second part that Paul shares with us here. God's sacrifice for us that we recognize today and talked about in our communion time. It goes against human nature and human understanding of priorities. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. That's the love of God. 
a sacrificial love for somebody that doesn't deserve it, doesn't even know what's going on. It's a love that prefers another person ahead of your own self. Our nature is not to prefer other people above ourselves. Our nature is not to prefer what our spouse wants. My nature is not to prefer what Melanie wants above what I want. Even after 20 years, that's a learned behavior. But that's what agape love is. That's the kind of love that God showed when he sent Jesus to earth to die for our sins. It's the kind of love that Jesus showed when he willingly came and said, I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'm going to prefer your salvation to his own comfort. It's the kind of love that forgives and shows grace. One of the biggest dysfunctions in our world today is that we don't forgive and we don't show grace to other people. We become professional grudge holders. We don't have patience for each other in relationships. If you say something outrageous online, then I'll hit right back and I'll call you a name online and I'll make an outrageous statement about you and think about the ways that we interact with each other in this day and age. It's not just the online world. It's carried over into our our regular world. We've become angry and and against each other and, and, and set in our ways and determined and unwilling to even listen and have conversations and interact with each other with patience and with grace in any way. Our world is lacking in grace. But we're to imitate the sacrificial love of God, which let me remind you was extended to us before we even asked for it or realized that we needed it. How many of you here today have been married for over 20 years? Raise your hand. Several hands in the room. How many of you have been married for over 30 years? Anybody? A few people. How many have been married for over 40 years? Over 50 years? Over 60 years? Over 70 years? Over 80? How many? Where are we at? How many years? Ace and Leo, I think they were the winners. 66 years, that's awesome. That's amazing. Do you know how much you have to forgive to stay married for 66 years? You can talk to them after service, they can give you a seminar. Do you know how much you have to forgive that a person doesn't even ask for if you want to stay married for that long? I'm not talking about Staying in abusive relationships or anything like that. Don't get me wrong here. You, that's, that's not right. That's a whole different topic. That's not God's desire or plan for you. I'm talking about healthy levels of grace and forgiveness. I guarantee you, if you're married for 66 years, you learn how not to hold a grudge. Instead, how to forgive quickly. If you want to stay married for 66 years, you've got to imitate the sacrificial love of God. I pray that God allows New Life Church to have a whole lot of people that are married for 66 years. And because we've learned to imitate God's love and imitate the sacrificial approach to other people in relationships. Autumn, if you'll come and just begin to play softly. We all have a lot of room to grow and this is not a way to just fix your your marriage quickly and fix all your relationships. It's a lot of work that's involved in it. But I can guarantee you that if you begin to imitate God in every one of your relationships, if you begin to imitate not the love that you see on the Facebook posts and the Instagram posts and the TikTok videos or the neighbor that you have or your sister or your cousin, or whatever it is, but you begin to imitate the love of God, then you're going to begin to see a change in your relationship. If you begin to imitate God's sacrificial approach to serving other people, you'll begin to see a difference.
There's a lot more in Ephesians chapter 5. You can go through it and read it. And maybe you, there's parts of it that you don't like. You're like, oh, well, it talks about that whole being submissive part. And I don't know about that. Well, there's a mutual submission that we should have to each other. But all of this begins in verse 1. It's an ongoing letter. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God's love. Be imitators of God's sacrifice in relationships. There's too many times in our lives, too, so often we, we make statements like, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my family. If I asked you here today, most of you here, you would say, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my family. But too often those are empty words and it's just sentiment. Because the dirty truth about our daily lives is we're not willing to forgive. We refuse to prefer the needs of others ahead of ourselves. We aren't willing to prioritize the things of God in our lives so that our families and relationships are healthy and strong. But we'll say, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my family. We'll we'll start there. Start with imitating the love of God. Start with forgiving someone that needs forgiveness before they ask for it. Start by extending some grace. Start by preferring the needs of others ahead of yourselves. Don't tell me there's nothing you wouldn't do for your family if you're unwilling to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Because that's free. Don't tell me there's nothing that you would do for your family if you won't spend 15 minutes a day in God's word asking God's help for wisdom and direction for your life because the Bible says that God gives generously to all who ask. So if you need help, if you need wisdom, start by asking God. Don't tell me there's nothing you won't do for your family if you're, you're not doing anything to deal with your anger problem that's a big cause of a lot of the issues in your relationships. Don't tell me there's nothing you won't do for your family if you won't even go to counseling to try to save your family. We say it, but the reality is that there's things we're not willing to do because of our pride, because of our stubborn preferences, because it wasn't modeled for us when we were kids. Let me ask you, what are you modeling for your kids today because you can keep your pride and you can keep your preferences and you can keep your selfish tendencies but when you bring that to a relationship there comes a point where that's all you're going to be left with you can keep your pride that's all you're going to have because the relationships are going to be broken the family is going to be lost and scattered and torn apart but you'll have your pride you'll have all the things that you didn't, weren't willing to give up. But my prayer is that we would all be honest when we say there's nothing that I won't do for my family. There's nothing I won't do for my family. I'm going to start a Bible reading plan today. I'm going to get into God's word. Just spend a few moments and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for wisdom in my relationships. I'm going to decide that, to go to church even if I work 10 or 12 hours a day on a Saturday. I'm going, to, I'm going to prioritize going to church with my family because it's important. I need to be there. I'm going to go to the family fun day at Kirk Gowdy and spend time with my kids. Or I'm going to set aside time every week to spend time with my, my kids. I'm going to take my wife on a date and make it a priority for us to spend time together. I don't care if we're going to have to get a babysitter or a zookeeper or whatever we're going to have to have to get take care of the kids. We're going to find a way to do it. We're going to put them to bed and you know, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, whatever we have to do to prioritize this. I'm going to take some time and do something that I've neglected and put off and told the people in my life that I would be willing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to prioritize those things because there's nothing that I won't do for my family. 
I'm going to set some new goals. I'm going to imitate God. I'm going to imitate God's love and his sacrifice for other people. Listen, we have a common enemy in our lives. All of us here, it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not a person in this room. It's not a person that you're in a relationship. We have a common enemy. And Paul wraps up this letter of Ephesians. It's different chapters, but it's all one big letter. He's talking about the same thing to the same people. And he wraps it up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Your enemy is not each other. There is a spiritual battle, but that doesn't mean that we just blame it all on the devil. Well, I don't have an anger problem. There's just the devil made me do it. No. That doesn't work. There's an enemy that wants to see your family ripped apart and destroyed, your relationships broken. The last thing he wants to see is two people that love each other and love God that are surrendered to the will of God in their lives. That's a dangerous thing. So we do have a spiritual battle. We do have a common enemy, but we also have a common hope. And he is in this room, and that's Jesus. And when you begin by taking your relationship and submitting it to the Lord and saying, God, I have plans and I have frustrations and I have issues and I have failures and I've already decided that it's hopeless and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and the other. Just stop. Press pause on all that. Have you submitted it to God first? Have you imitated the love of God in your relationships? Have you been willing to say, God, I'm going to allow you to work. I'm going to allow you to bring help and healing and hope into my relationships. Will you take some time and allow God to work and even if it needs be to do a miraculous thing inside your relationships. The single greatest relationship that you're ever going to have is your relationship with God. How's that doing? So I find that the better my relationship with God is, the more time I spend in prayer asking God for wisdom, the more time that I spend praying for my family, for my relationships, the better those relationships go. Nothing will help your marriage more than for you to get things right between you and God and then for you to begin to imitate the love of God in your relationships. It doesn't mean that there's not more that you need to do, but start there. Start by doing that. And then if you need to go to counseling, if there's things you need to work on, if you need to get anger management, whatever it is that you need to do, start with, start with your relationship with God and submitting that relationship to Him, surrendering every area of your life to Him and allowing Him to move in your relationships by imitating the love and the sacrifice of God. A relationship with God will transform you and it'll change how you view others. The Holy Spirit will guide you and it'll help you. If you're not in a right relationship with God, I invite you to make that a priority in your life today. At the conclusion of service, we're going to have a couple of our prayer team members right over here on the side of the stage. Some of our elders or our staff will be there. If you're, if you're here and you say, you know what, I need to start there. I need to start with a relationship with God or Or if you want prayer for your marriage, I invite you at the conclusion of the service in just a few moments to come over there. We'd love to meet you there and and pray with you. But I want to pray over every person right here. Regardless of your relationship with the Lord, regardless of your relationships with other people, I want to just pray over you. So I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every person in this room and I pray for all the relationships that are represented here today. God, there's no simple fix. Sometimes we've had years of digging some holes, years of failures that are piled upon situations that have gone unresolved. We talked about conflict just a few weeks ago. God, there's some conflict that needs to be resolved here. There's some forgiveness 
that needs to be extended and asked for, God. There's some habits that need to be broken and things that we've justified in our lives because everybody's doing it or that's what we saw modeled as we were kids and so we think it's okay to represent that or replicate that in our relationships. But God, I pray today that you would bring healing where it's needed. God, that you would strengthen marriage relationships and dating relationships. And Lord, the relationships that, that are not right, Lord, that you would, you would do a work in those situations. Speak to hearts and lives, God. Lord, close the wrong doors, open the right doors. We thank you for that. Lord, would you mend and repair hopelessly broken relationships? Would you call prodigals home in Jesus' name? Lord, would you move in a way that only you can? But God, I pray that in every relationship that we have, that we would be imitators of you, imitators of your love. God, in the challenging work relationships that we have that are just difficult, would you speak to us? Would you help us not to respond in kind, not to allow our emotions lead our response, but Lord, to imitate your love and how we show up for work tomorrow morning. God, in our family relationships, will we imitate your love? Will we be willing to ask for and to give forgiveness? Will we be willing to make changes where it's needed, to seek help where it's needed? Lord, first and foremost, help from you. Would you give wisdom where it's needed as you promised that you would? Lord, would you bring people alongside? I'm thankful that in this church we have just a number of Christian counselors that are bringing help and hope. Lord, would you give wisdom to them and direction in Jesus' name? Would you allow them to be a light in this community in the places that you've placed them and the doors that you've opened for them and the platforms that you put them on? Lord, that they would bring restoration and point people to hope that's available. God, I pray that we would do better in our relationships of imitating you, of imitating your love. Help us to not be seduced by the ideas of the world, by the relationship patterns of the world, by the love that's common in this world. But Lord, we want to understand your love. Thank you that you've extended it to us. Help us to extend it to others. Help us to reflect grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. We thank you for it. I speak a blessing over every family. I speak a blessing over every person that's here today. Maybe they're just one part of the relational component, but Lord, would you do a work in them? We thank you that you're moving across this room. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to speak a blessing over you, and then Autumn's going to give some more final instruction for you today. Number 624 through 26 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thanks for being here and being a part of New Life Church.